You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. We are reprising another episode of the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. With baseball season on its way and baseball athletes already coming into the office with various shoulder and elbow aches, this episode is particularly relevant. Enjoy. Baseball spring training has begun. That means you can start to have the blind hope in your favorite professional sports team's chances in winning the World Series, whether you're the billion-dollar spending Los Angeles Dodgers or the bargain shoppers don't care anymore Oakland Athletics. Players have been working through the offseason to get their arms and bodies ready for the grind. But what about our youth baseball players? Baseball has become a grind in and of itself, especially in the parts of the country where baseball can be a year-round or close to year-round activity. In this episode of the podcast, we will discuss the pros and cons of weighted baseball training in baseball. I am Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Today we have as our guest Dr. Jason Zarensky. He is an associate professor in the Departments of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation at the University of Florida. Dr. Zaremski received his medical degree from Tufts University and stayed on at Tufts to complete his residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation. He is fellowship trained in sports medicine through the Geisinger Health System program in Pennsylvania. He currently serves as a sports medicine physician at the University of Florida and is the co-medical director for their high school outreach program. He is an elected member of the board of directors for the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. He also has some unique awards he has earned relative to baseball. He earned the Arthur Ashe Award for Leadership and Sportsmanship in Baseball for Division II and Division III athletes in 1997, and in 2010 was named a Hall of Fame catcher for the Emory University All-Baseball team. Plus, we give him bonus credit as he's a Chicago Cubs fan like yours truly. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me and uh, looking forward to having a nice discussion today. Yeah, it should be good. And I think this is a hot topic in general. We know that weighted balls aren't anything new, but I think a good place to start for us is explaining to our listeners what exactly a weighted ball is. Well, I think before we say what a weighted ball is, you need to know what a, a regulation baseball is. If we're talking about baseball. That's typically a baseball and standard weight is going to be approximately between five and five and one quarter ounces. So if you're talking about a weighted baseball, it's any baseball that is greater than five to five and one quarter ounces. So it's meant to be a heavy ball. The analogy would be if you ever swing a regular bat and then you put a donut on the end of the bat, it's now a heavy bat. So it's the same concept. Yeah, good way to kind of give an analogy there, something that probably people understand with the donut on the bat. What are the reported benefits of doing weighted ball training? Well, the intent of a weighted ball training program is really for velocity. That's the reason that this has really become a hot topic is for those of us that follow the research as well or baseball or softball fans in general is that velocities, particularly at the collegiate and professional and really the major league level, have really increased in the last five to 10 years or so. These programs have become very interesting and a hot topic for debate because the primary benefit and the primary endpoint is increasing throwing velocity or increasing pitching velocity. When we talk about this program, the increase in velocity, so is there evidence that that actually works using a weighted ball program? 
There, there actually is evidence. There is a growing amount of research that is out there. Probably the most original research that has gotten the most sort of press, if you will, is a study by Mike Reinhold and his team members in 2018, where they took a look at adolescent baseball pitchers, and they looked at using varying weights of baseballs with standard baseballs and, and with weighted balls. And they looked at velocity as well as a, a bunch of other factors. And if we're talking about just velocity, they said, yeah, the evidence showed in their study that there was an increase in velocity over a six-week time frame, a little more than 3% increase in velocity in their study. So if you're asking, do weighted ball velocity programs work with respect to velocity, for the most part, most of the research says, yes, they do indeed work. Velocity does increase artificially in a short amount of time. The concern, though, is that there's other things that are occurring as well. For example, if you look deeper into the Reinhold study, they actually showed that there is a little more than four degrees of shoulder external rotation increase in the six-week study period. So that basically means that there is an artificially increased amount of external rotation of the shoulder in a short amount of time. Yeah. So when we talk about that, do you think that makes any benefit for somebody of having that increased external rotation? Well, on one hand, that's an interesting question because an increased amount of external rotation, and really if you want to look at all the work on total range of motion or TROM, really Kevin Wilkes, probably the best expert on that, is showing that the increased amount of range of motion in overhead throwing athletes and particular baseball pitchers allows one to increase their velocity. The problem becomes we're not entirely sure yet if this artificially increased amount of external rotation in such a short amount of time is actually then an injury risk which is what we'll talk about, I think, later on with some of the side effects of these weighted ball velocity programs. Yeah, it's good. And since a lot of our listeners for this podcast, their parents, coaches, you know, can you explain a little bit just more for them as far as what you mean by increasing their external rotation? Like, what, what does that mean when we look at a person? Sure. If you imagine you take your throwing arm, so I'm right-handed. So I take my right arm and I bring my elbow up to eye level off to the side. And then I try to turn my wrist backwards. Kind of your arm is in that the letter L position. The farther back you go, that's externally rotated. And the reverse side is internally rotated. When we talk about total range of motion, that's the internal plus the external range of motion. As an example, if I'm talking about an increased amount of external rotation, that means your wrist can go backwards even farther than someone who maybe is not an overhead throwing athlete. Great. That's a good way to kind of describe it visually for people. My concern as a peed sports doc is the emphasis on velocity. You being a Cubs fan as well as I am, two of my favorite pitchers of all time in Cubs have been Greg Maddox and then now Kyle Hendricks, the professors version one and version two, where, <laughs> you know, they've got great movement on their ball. They can't throw higher than 90, 92 probably for them on a good day, but they're really good and they excel at what they do. So their emphasis isn't on velocity. And we look at those pitchers now, and I, I would be curious to see how Greg Maddox would be looked at if he came into the league now with his velocity compared to what's emphasized now. But we talk about breaking balls being bad, you know, the sliders and change ups. But my understanding is that those may not be as bad as they really are. But we also know that those structures on the inner side of the elbow, that inner side that touches your body, what we call the medial side of the elbow, they take a tremendous amount of stress with every throw. And that could be the bone in a kid who's still growing or it could be the ligament in someone who's done growing. And then we start to worry about those structures. You as a former baseball player and someone who works a lot with young throwers, what are your thoughts on those things? Well, I think what's most important when you have a younger overhead athlete, whether they are a baseball pitcher or thrower, softball, especially for our international listeners, cricket, 
and handball, as well as some of the track and field throwing sports. And we can even throw in swimming, even though you're not throwing per se in lacrosse. It's what's really important is we really need to focus on rotator cuff strengthening with respect to the shoulder and then connect chain. We don't want to have any connect chain defects. And what I mean by that for some, maybe some listeners who don't know what that means is you don't want to have any defects throughout the body. So it's great if your shoulder's really strong, but what if your core, your abdominal muscles are weak? Or what if your hamstrings are really tight? What if you have weak back muscles? It's all sort of connected. I think what's really most important is having a strong rotator cuff having a good kinetic chain without any defects or weak links in the chain. And then to take something I think Jim Andrews has really kind of preached in the media is we really shouldn't be having kids go to showcases because that can then lead to overuse arm injuries quickly when you're doing four or six games in a weekend or you're just trying to throw hard to to see what you are in the radar gun. With respect to weighted ball programs, I am really concerned if anyone is A, doing a weighted ball velocity program without anyone who is an expert in this area, maybe an expert sports performance expert, if you will, because if you're doing it and you have open growth plates, there is a concern that there's increased risk of injury for those individuals. You then have an accelerated increase in velocity over, say, a six-week time frame, which is what the Reinhold study showed. And then you have an artificially increased amount of external rotation of the shoulder. You have all of these combined, you have a risk of injury. And that was shown in the Reinhold study and other studies as well. In fact, just anecdotally, I've had three patients in the last six months, 11, 12, and 14, all of the lecronon stress fractures, and all of them have said they started using weighted ball programs. Yeah, and that's a, an interesting thing. And when we talk about stress fractures in the elbow, we don't think about that as much. We do because we see it, unfortunately, a lot from our young throwers and for the, our listeners as far as what the olecranon is. So that's the tip of your elbow. It's kind of the bony part where if you would rest it on the table, that's the part we're talking about. And that that area can take a tremendous amount of stress as well because your triceps muscle attaches to there. The ligaments actually attach some to there. So we see that as being an issue too. So no no question about that. And the way I kind of like, I, I use a little different thing for kinetic chain when I kind of describe it to patients, I'll, I'll tell them if anything from the tip of the finger, your longest finger on your throwing arm down to your big toe on your plant foot, if any of that area is injured or a problem, that's part of your kinetic chain. So anything get, can get affected. So I try and tell people to lay off a little bit when you hear the professional baseball player who has to stop because they got a blister on their hand. Well, it is part of their kinetic chain. And so if it's on their throwing hand, that can affect kind of their mechanics in general. And we, we don't want to promote bad mechanics and kind of in the big picture of things. Oh, Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss injuries in young throwers and if weighted ball training is something to be worried about causing injury. Baseball. It's way more than just balls and strikes. And if you've ever driven or walked by a cornfield and heard a small but vital voice urge you to act, then you've only got one thing left to do. Check out the Two Guys Talking Baseball perspective review of 1989's Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner, a bunch of dead baseball players, memories, and the way to have a catch with your dad. Step up to the digital plate today by accessing twoguystalkingbaseball.com. Only from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? 
Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. We are back with Dr. Jason Zaremski, a sports medicine physician from the University of Florida, former collegiate catcher, and we're talking about weighted ball training and is this a good thing or not for young athletes? So let's switch to injury risk now. Is there a correlation with how fast you throw and then the risk of injury in pitchers as an example? In general, not talking about weighted ball velocity programs, but in general with respect to velocity and really baseball has taken the lead in the research in this. We've seen based on research that really goes back into the early 2000s that once you reach the plateau of somewhere around 80 to 85 miles per hour, the risk of throwing related injury goes up. That's typically the threshold when you start to see forces and torques imparted on the elbow and the throwing elbow and the throwing shoulder start to go up. So you take that and then you combine that with the knowledge that these weighted ball velocity programs, yes, they do work. They do increase your velocity, but you're artificially accelerating that increase without the developmental aspects, meaning a child isn't growing, going through puberty over the course of one, two, three years. They may not be doing their strength training or their kinetic chain training. So now you're basically combining two different areas that are piggybacking on each other the injury risk is going up. I can't tell you it's a 2% or a 10% or it's a 20% risk, but I do know the risk will go up if you can throw hard and you're using a weighted ball velocity programs, in particular, if you're a skeletally immature individual, meaning you're still growing. Have there been any studies that show a harmful effect, meaning increased injuries themselves from actually just doing the weighted ball training rather than the the concept that we just talked about as far as increasing your velocity and increasing the risk? Yeah, actually, the, the, the that Reinhold study that I referenced, which is the most recent one in 2018, as I mentioned, he, he and his team noted a 3.3% increase in velocity, but they also had in their two different study arms, the arm that used weighted balls had four injuries, which correlated to just under 25% of an injury rate, as opposed to the arm that did not use weighted balls, there were no injuries at all. So that is the most recent study that shows that. And that's, I think that's helpful for our listeners to know that there are studies that show that there is an increased risk. And we'll have some links to those in our show notes that you can reference to if you'd like to click on those after you've listened to the podcast, of course. But how about any other possible downfalls of doing weighted ball training? Are, Are there anything else outside of just kind of the direct correlation of injury risk that you see? Artificially increasing external rotation of the shoulder is one, not so much the the fact that there's external rotation, but by having that increased amount of rotation allows one to potentially then generate more velocity, which then imparts more forces and torques upon the throwing arm. In addition, there also is some suspicion that when you are doing these weighted ball programs, there might be a lack or even inhibition of rotator cuff strengthening. So if you're trying to throw with a heavier ball, you may not be able to generate the same speeds and get stronger. It's actually potentially a a little counterintuitive, but if you're using a heavier ball, you can't throw as hard or as fast. So your rotator cuff's not getting as strong, but maybe you're actually throwing harder because that external rotation has increased. So now you're weaker, but with increased range of motion, and that's a recipe potentially to develop an overuse thrown injury. 
Let's touch on that a little bit more. So you mentioned that they may not actually make you stronger. So we don't really see an improvement in strength in these kids? There's, there's not hard and fast studies that I am aware of, but I think if you look a little deeper in some of the studies, like I said, the Reinhold study and a few others, that they are looking at strength overall. But I think it's more the suspicion that is there an inhibition or, or blocking, if you will, of rotator cuff strengthening, as well as other muscles as well. You know, your flexor forearm muscles in your form help protect that inside ligament of the elbow, the UCL, that uh, sometimes known as the Tommy John ligament. Biceps tendon in particular, if you're a windmill softball pitcher, because all the strain is the anterior or front part of your shoulder when you're a windmill pitcher. All these things are concerns. We just don't have enough data yet. I think it's really going to be one of these hotbed topics the next couple of years, because as, as we know, and I'm sure your audience knows, particularly if you're watching ESPN or Fox or the game of the week at the major league level, and even some collegiate teams, everyone's talking about velocity and spin rate and all of these different factors. That's great. But it's very interesting. If you take a look, why is every single major league baseball closer seem to be throwing 97 miles an hour plus? And just even 10 years ago, that was not the case. It used to be Araldis Chapman was the only person who could throw over 100. And that's not even the case anymore. There, there are many pitchers at the major league level. Well, what happens, there's, there's, a, there's a filtered sort of system down. It goes from the major leagues to the minors down to the collegiate and a lot of times to the high school and to the adolescents. And everyone wants velocity because velocity – will potentially open up more opportunities. Maybe you get on your high school team, maybe you get looked at for college or to get a scholarship or get drafted. The problem becomes, what is the risk we're willing to take for our kids to get injured versus make a team or throw harder? And I do realize that we're not talking about concussions. We're not talking about a life-threatening injury. But if I'm going to be advising a parent or advising a young athlete, I will basically present the data and say, look, if you're going to do a weighted ball program, I highly advise against it, especially if it's a younger person. But be aware that, yeah, you're, you're probably going to be able to throw faster, but your risk of injury is going to go up compared to the person who's not doing it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've got Jordan Hicks here locally in St. Louis as the, the burner now as <laughs> far as uh, topping out on Chapman. I think he had seven out of the 10 top throwing velocities, I think, last year in the majors, just to put that in perspective. So he's, he's certainly surpassed Chapman. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I just cringe, you know, seeing that these guys throwing as hard as they are is when are they going to blow out their elbow? I, I just I, I can't see that being a sustained thing. And, you know, we know that when these young throwers, uh, as I'm sure you see regularly in your clinic, as I do in mine here, and you probably even more so being a, a state where you can really do truly, truly year round baseball. You know, we have it for the most part here in Missouri, but these kids just they, they spend so much time emphasizing their their sport, getting out there and getting in the cages or working on fielding practice or working with their pitching coach. And some of that may be working on technique or trying to learn a new pitch. But I see so few kids that are actually working on strength training to get their body ready to do something that is such an unnatural motion for your body. I mean, if you look at any major league pitcher in a kind of a freeze frame where you go through a quick take camera and just watch the the positions that their body gets into, it, it, that's just totally unnatural. Our body wasn't designed for that. But what do you kind of emphasize with these kids as far as what should they be doing strength-wise to help get them better for their sport? Well, I, I think it, it, part of it depends on the age. If you have a older high school athlete that's likely, especially a male that may be skeletally mature, or if it's a female, she's not quite skeletally mature yet, or, or if they're close, it might be a little different. But if we're talking about a pre-high school athlete, 
we're talking about middle school, we're talking about elementary age athlete. I think it's really important to one, have love of sport to really practice sports specific activity, get good at hitting a baseball, get good at throwing a strike. This isn't necessarily medicine related, but this is sort of sports performance and comes as a former baseball player. I always ask my patients in front of their parents, I said, what's the best pitch in baseball? fastball, curveball, knuckleball, et cetera. I said, no, your best pitch is strike one. So I don't want you working on a void velocity program until you can throw seven or eight out of 10 pitches for a strike. And the parents totally understand that. You know, I don't want a pitcher to, to reference some baseball movies being Ricky Vaughn or Nuke Lelouch. <laughs> I want them to be, able to, to be Kyle Hendricks or be Greg Myax when they're eight, nine, 10, 11, develop good mechanics, develop a good kinetic chain. If you want to start a tubing program, do a Thrower's 10 program, which was developed at, I believe, Kevin Wilk as well as ASMI in Birmingham, please do that. But by all means, I don't want an 11 or 12-year-old or even up to 14 or 15 really considering a weighted ball velocity program because it does no good to develop an overuse injury because we know as medical professionals, we know as sports performance professionals, and we know as parents, you start developing an overuse thrown injury when you're in your early teens and you have the opportunity to potentially throw hard, your arm is going to break down at some point. So, so that would be my take home. If someone is going to want to do a weighted ball velocity program, I basically have three take homes. Mine would be one, it should absolutely be performed under the supervision of an expert and he or she knows what they're doing. They've trained folks before using these types of programs. The second is if you're skeletally immature, I mean, you're still growing, I would recommend any sports medicine professional, any healthcare provider to just be very honest with parents or caregivers and the athlete say, look, if you're going to do it, here you go. But these are the risks involved. And the last, even if you're doing a weighted ball velocity program, it does not replace an overall train program. It does not replace a connect chain train program. That should be the primary focus in someone who's trained to get better and the weighted ball velocity program, if it's going to be used, should be a side supplement, not the other way around. That's great stuff. Thanks, Jason, for those good take-home points. And I, I know it's been a good podcast when you can reference Ricky Vaughn, the wild thing <laughs> in, in the podcast. It's been a good one. I'd like to thank Dr. Zaremski for joining us today on the podcast. You can find all of our podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. And we certainly welcome your feedback and comments on Apple Podcast. Your five-star reviews help us get the word out about the podcast. You can follow us on various forms of social media at Twitter or X, Threads, Instagram at Peds Sports Pod. That's Peds Plural, Sports Plural Pod, and also on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us as using your favorite podcast streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.